invite you guys to stand with us. We're going to start off singing some songs to our Lord and King. I was buried
Yes, oh God, we bless you here this morning. He's worthy of all our praise. Oh, oh, yeah. We introduced this song a couple of Sundays ago. Sing it out of your memory. Blessed are those who run to him, who place their hope and confidence in Jesus. He won't forsake them. Blessed are those who seek his face, who bend their knee and fix their gaze on Jesus. They won't be shaken, so come on and praise the
bless them in the sanctuary. Some of y'all may know this. I sing praises to your name. Oh, Lord, praises to your name. Oh, Lord, for your name is great and great. is teaching us how to praise him. If you've been around for a couple of Sundays, we've really gone out there by the Spirit and just begun to bless the name of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord. And it's not by accident. I think the Spirit of God is wanting us to get out of our own minds, get out of our Sunday routines. He's asking us to put our coffees down and to have our hands empty so we can lift them up in holy praise. Mm. Can we do that here? There's no judgment if you brought coffee. I just thought about that right now. <laughs> I'm a coffee drinker too. But God is greater than coffee. Amen? <laughs> so can we do that? Can we just open up ourselves just to praise the Lord? Get out of your own situation. Better yet, bring your situation to the Lord. Surrender it to Him. And give him your whole heart. Come on, lift your hands. Sing, I give glory to your name. Oh, Lord, glory to your name. Oh, Lord, for your name. For your name is great and great. For your name, 
is great and greatly to be praised. Beloved, can we confess the scriptures together? Allow the scriptures to, to, to enter us into worship today. Let's read Psalm 100. Full of faith, let's say. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Beloved, just like that previous scripture said, let us bless the name of the Lord without any music, without any prompting. Can we lift up our voice and bless the name of the Lord? Yes, we bless you, God. We create a throne of praise here for you, Lord God. And we abide with you, Lord Jesus.
spend time with your heavenly Father here. Sing, I depend on you. I depend on you. I depend on you. I depend on you. Yes, I depend on you for everything. For my life, yes, I depend on you. Oh, yes, I depend on you. I trust you, Lord, as I depend on you. For my wisdom, yes, I depend on you. For my healing, oh, yes, I depend on you. For my breakthrough, God, for my breakthrough, I depend on you. Yes, I depend on you. for my identity. Yes, I depend on you. I depend on you. Yes, I depend on you. Because Christ is my firm foundation. He's the rock on which I stand. Everything around me shaking. I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus. Cause he's never let me down. He's faithful through generations. So
cross, my freedom, your stripes, my healing, all praise, King Jesus, glory to God in heaven, your blood is still speaking, your love still reaching, all praise, King Jesus, sing glory to God forever, your cross is my freedom, your stripes, my healing, all praise, King Jesus, glory to God in heaven, your blood still speaking, your love hey, it's still reaching, all praise, King Jesus, to glory to God.
church. Glory to God forever. Amen, amen, amen. Glory to God, the only wise God, the risen one, the one who was raised on the third day. I, I love this song. I think there's a profound message for many of us today in this song. That it's not a coincidence that the song is conveying a message that Jesus is the son of suffering. And that is also the thing that has been the biggest hurdle for most people following Jesus, including the disciples who walked with him every day. They envisioned a Messiah who would come and conquer and change the world in a particular way. They could not fathom that the God of the universe would come in flesh and suffer. I want us to read these verses from Isaiah 53. They're going to be, you don't have to read them out loud. Just read them with your eyes. <laughs> he was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Hear that. Familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Next verse. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. And yet we have considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, because we didn't know what else to do with that. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace. Think about that. The punishment that has brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. I think what is profound in a message for many of you, and I know so many of the stories of things that are happening right now in real time in your life, is that there are ways of knowing God that we can come to just by hearing Jesus is the Messiah, and that means certain things, or Jesus is a healer, and that means certain things. But there is a difference when you are the one sick in need of healing, and when you are the one needing provision, there is a way of coming to know God that we can't just learn by reading about it, but we learn by walking with him. And as the song we sang a minute ago, abiding with him in all of these different seasons that we never would have chosen. And I know many of you are in seasons you never would have chosen. And here is the word of the Lord to you. There is no place that you are walking that Jesus is not walking with you and that Jesus has not walked prior to you. Both of those things are true. And Jesus did that so that in your suffering, you wouldn't be alone. And so that in your suffering, you might be transformed greater and greater and greater into his image. So I want us to pause and take a moment and consider where you're at. And if you're on a mountaintop, that's wonderful. There is a way of knowing Jesus like the disciples did, three of them, when he was transfigured on the mountaintop. And they received a very real revelation of Jesus in that space. But there is also a revelation of Jesus that we receive when we're at the foot of the cross, begging for God to show up in our lives. Begging to see where God is at in this situation. So consider your situation. Some of you have lost family members. Some of you are walking through divorces. Some of you have recently lost jobs. 
Some of you have received diagnoses. Some of you are walking with the pain of children who have walked away. Whatever it is, I want you to pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, reveal yourself to me in this situation. Reveal yourself to me in this pit. Reveal yourself to me in this season of endless monotony or uncertainty, not knowing what to do. Whatever situation you find yourself in, I want you to pray, Jesus, reveal yourself. Show me where you're at right here. I'm doing everything I can to get out of this, but I want to come to know you right here where you're at. And friends, I promise you, if you wait long enough and you pray that simple prayer that Jesus will begin to open your eyes and show you where he is, how he's touching you, how he's with you, how he's near to you, how he is exactly what you need him to be in that situation. Jesus, show us who you are. Not who we want you to be, but who you really are. If even the disciples who were walking with you struggled with this, then there's no shame for us for misperceiving you. Just, we just want you to show us who you really are right now. The one who was not ashamed to suffer, who didn't turn his back on suffering, but embraced it for our sake to reveal to us who God the Father is really like. Lord, be with your people. Be so near to them. Be comfort, be provision. Be healing, inner and external. Be steadfastness, be faithful. Be to us what we need. Church, it may not happen in a moment. Most of the time it won't. But we are here for one another and God is always with you in the depths. Amen? Well, let's turn our eyes to our giving liturgy as part of our way of responding to this God who is with us in every moment and every season. We'll pray this liturgy. For those of you who are new, this is a liturgy that we have crafted here at New Life Midtown as a way of posturing our hearts toward God in our giving, not just doing it out of ritual, but saying, God, this is what I have to bring. Would you do this in me? So let's pray this together. Father, you are the abundant giver of all good things. Train us to delight in holy dependence. Lead us to honor you with all of our resources. Free us from the deceitfulness of greed and earthly riches. And teach us to give generously with open hands and joy-filled hearts that we might receive abundantly and flourish for the sake of others and your purposes in the earth. Amen. Friends, there are four ways to give. Uh, many of you will know what they are. They are up on the screen. If you are uh, attending here and looking for a church home, there is no pressure to give. But we do believe that there is something about when God calls you to a people, giving as a way of worshiping, but also being committed to that people and saying, God, I'm invested in the work that happens here. So be blessed in your giving today. And parents, take your kids, draw them close. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer as we send our elementary students out to their classes this morning. Let us pray this prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Children, you are dismissed. We pray that you go with open hearts and open minds to learn all that God has for you. New Life Midtown, take a moment and greet the people around you in the name of Christ. We'll be back in just a minute. Rachel Brown here with a few announcements for you. First announcement, Resist the Drift Marriage Conference is coming up on February 16th and 17th. If you are married and you're looking to grow in your marriage, this might be an excellent resource for you. So check it out online, resistthedrift.com. Coming up also, we have our Midtown Worship Night. Come out on Wednesday, the 21st at 6.30 p.m. for an extended time of prayer and worship with the Midtown community. We hope to see you there. At the beginning of March, Saturday, March 2nd, we are welcoming back Dr. Chris Green. He's a pastor, a theologian, and a longtime friend of the house. So we are excited to have him back for part two of Trauma, Healing, and the Life of Faith. If you've got questions about what might be coming up at New Life Midtown or just other ways to get involved, be sure to check out the Welcome Center. They've got answers to questions that can help you navigate your way around. That's all for me, friends. Thanks so much. Have a great Sunday. Good morning, church. It's good to see you in the house today. How's everyone doing today? Like that. Sometimes I do one of these numbers right here. How many of you are, are doing this? Let me see. Uh, a good chunk of you. How many of you guys are doing this right now? Let me just, it's okay. It's okay to let, let me know if you're not okay. A couple of people in the house are not doing great. How many people are right here? Right here. <laughs> well, wherever you're at, may the Lord be near to you. And may the Lord comfort you. And may the Lord encourage you. May the Lord be for you, because he is. He is for you today. I, uh, I'm going to just jump right in. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to the book of John, chapter 5. I'm going to fight my way through this message.
I am both uh, excited and terrified to preach this word to you today, and I'll explain why after I read the passage. John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. By the way, if you're new with us today, welcome. We're so glad to have you. It's a joy to have you in our house, and I pray you get to meet a lot of our incredible family members, because I'm pretty fond of them. I think we have some amazing people here at New Life Midtown. So we welcome you, and we pray that you meet with the Lord today in a real special way. We've been in a series in the book of John, and today is our fifth installment. So read along with me. We'll read the first 15 verses. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. The one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Try to wrap your head around that for a moment. It's a little hard for me to conceptualize, to be immobile, to, to have a loss of function, to be dependent, to be what so many of the things that Pastor Jonathan just so pastorally and sensitively unpacked for us. This was this man's reality for 38 years of his life. 38 years is longer than a lot of us have been alive. 38 years might be, for some of us, half of your lifetime. It's just hard for me to wrap my heads around, guys. I'll be really honest with you. 38 years, this man was an invalid. Verse 6, so when Jesus saw him lying there and he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, you think? (laughs) He asked him, do you want to get well? I think it's important the way that we hear Jesus asking that question. I'm going to lean into that a little bit more here in a little bit, but we can, we can hear the voice of the Savior asking that question a number of different ways, depending on where we are at, depending on what kind of ideas or concepts about God and faith and healing and our own volition and our own agency and our own willpower We can hear that question in a very condemning tone. Don't you want to get well? Do you want to get well? And I have come to a place, thankfully, over several years, that I I don't hear him asking that in a condemning way. But I did, and I'll share a story with you about that here in a moment. Verse 7, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me. I have no one to help me. I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. So while I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me, someone with more mobility, someone with more agency, someone with more function, someone who... has more physical power, someone who has other people to help them, someone who's not been stricken the same way that I've been stricken, someone who's more fortunate or fortunate than I am, they're able to get ahead of me. And so 
regardless of how hard I try, regardless of how many times I try, regardless of how much I want this for my life, it just seems like there's always someone else who's better positioned than I am. Verse 8, then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. Can you imagine that? 38 years. 38 years of struggling with the same thing. 38 years of coming to the same place, hoping that someone will have charity, hoping that someone will see you, hoping that someone will have a healthy sense of pity. 38 years. Y'all, listen. I don't know if I would make that for 38 days, let alone 38 years. And in a moment, in a moment, God breaks in. In a moment, the kingdom comes. In a moment, the power of God comes to bear on 38 years of tragedy and trauma and chronic, chronic hopelessness and defeat and disappointment and pain. And in a moment, God breaks in. It's very important for us to latch onto that. God is able to do in one moment what all of our hopes and what all of our illusions are just not able to satisfy for us. Get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once, immediately, the man was cured. And he picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Of course it was, Jesus. I think Jesus just strategically picked the Sabbath day. I'm going to teach on all the other days. Maybe we'll break bread. But, dude, I'm healing folks on the Sabbath. He's such a troublemaker. And I love it. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. The Lord forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, well, listen, my theology is not very deep, y'all. My theology just goes as far as this. The one who healed me is the one I'm going to listen to. And if he told me to pick up my mat and walk, I'm just going to pick up my mat and walk. The man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. And so they asked him, who is this fellow who's defying? I mean, who is this fellow who told you to pick up and walk? And the man who was healed had no idea who it was. It's incredible. It's a theme throughout John. Jesus is always just slipping in to the crowd. He's kind of fading into the distance. Jesus slipped away into the crowd that was there, and later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again, so stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. So the man went away, and he told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Holy Spirit of the living God, we... Lord, we humble our hearts before you, and we humble our hearts before the text. And we humble our hearts before each other today. And Lord, I would ask very humbly, Lord, that you would speak to every single one of us today. And that you would meet us 
wherever we may find ourselves in this story and wherever we may find ourselves in our story, God, I pray that in the same way that Jesus walked into a crowd and he singled out one man and he saw one man's struggle, one man's journey, one man's plight, I ask, oh God, that you would single each and every one of us out today. I ask that you would find us. I ask that you would meet with us. I ask that you would put your finger, God, on our heart in a way that only you can. In a way that both confronts and challenges and comforts and heals all at the same time. And there's never a trace of condemnation, guilt, or fear. And I ask that you would do this today by the presence and by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Beloved, going back to the beginning of this. We're just going to walk slowly through this, and I want to begin back at verse number three, if we could. Here, at this particular pool, there was a great number of disabled people, a great number. This would, in a lot of ways, be very similar to modern-day hospitals or modern-day healing pools where people would go And family members or friends or even strangers would place those people, and it says it right here, the text is very plain, people that were disabled, people that were lame, people that were blind, they were all placed around this pool. And there was this sense of lore, there was almost this myth. In fact, in some translations, it goes on to say that there was an angel that was stirring the water. And if you kind of read deeply into the background of that. There wasn't an actual angel. Sometimes there was physical phenomenons that would take place. But over the course of time, there was a story that had developed that an angel was stirring these waters and it had these healing properties. And what we do know is that people were legitimately getting healed. And so they were now creating stories around these healing properties. But what is very, very clear is that There are a number of people, we could say it like this, a community of people that were broken, that were placed around this pool with the hope of getting healed. A community of people that were in the worst possible position of their lives. Verse 5, and one who was there who had been an invalid for 38 years, and Jesus saw him, and he asked him this question, he says, do you? Do you want to get well? I've got to be very careful. Last week, uh, this, this, guy, this guy tripped me up a little bit, got a little excited. I don't think that's going to happen today. I don't feel that kind of preach on me today. Fourteen years ago, I preached this passage. It's the last time I preached this passage. It's 14 years ago. I just became senior pastor. Became senior pastor in 2010. Prior to that, my wife and I, we were... We were youth pastors, and we had a beautiful family in our church, five children, and the mom had, over the course of time, developed a degenerative disease that a lot of the doctors were confounded by. They had no idea what it was, but it manifested very similar to ALS. This beautiful sister in our church who was just so radiant, so lovely, the joy of the Lord on her face, she would serve the church often, and slowly over the course of time began to lose more and more function of her body. I remember, I remember exactly where I was. I remember preaching this message to our youth one night. 
our youth pastor had invited me in, and she was there with her kids. She was immobile at the time. She was in a chair. She began to not only was she not able to have command and control of her body, but then her body would actually begin to involuntarily kind of move. She'd shake. And she was sitting there the entire time as I was preaching this message. And man, I was preaching the fire out of this message. There's only one problem. The problem was the way that I was preaching this message, I don't think it was accurate to the heart of God. Because when I got to this part where Jesus says, do you want to get well? Unbeknownst to me, because of my position and my perspective on faith, there was so much, there was so much condemnation. The way that I interpreted this passage 14 years ago is I interpreted it as Jesus saying, well, if you, if you really wanted to get well, like if you really, like when he asked this man, imagine 38 years, I kind of glossed over that part. And what I honed in on was this notion, that if you really wanted to get well, do you want to get well? And then if you notice, the man doesn't really answer Jesus directly. What he says is like, man, I'm, I'm trying but how I translated that was, well, you're just, you're just making excuses. The man never says, yes, I want to get well. The man never says, I have faith to get well. The man, never, man doesn't say that. The man just says, sir, when I try, someone else gets ahead of me. And man, I began just to lean in and say this phrase over and over and over. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? And I remember this beautiful sister who ended up going home with the Lord after being put into a facility for several years, and her kids would go in there and visit her very, very regularly. I remember her just crying out, saying, I want to get well. I want to get well. And in the back, in the way, like way back in my mind, like if we don't understand faith, there's this, there's, this, there's this really ugly thought. What is that thought? The thought is, if you really wanted to get well, and if you had enough faith, then you would get well. There is a way to preach this passage. There is a way to preach this passage that says that people can become so comfortable, people can become so accustomed to, people can make their home with dysfunction. And there is an element of that phys- physically There is an element of that emotionally. There is an element of that sociologically that is true, where we can become so at home with our dysfunction that the notion or the uncertainty of becoming well is actually so, it's it's so, it's it's paralyzing almost. It is almost more comforting to sit in our dysfunction than it is to break free from our dysfunction because our dysfunction is all that we know. I'm not sure if that's what Jesus was getting at but it preaches really, really good. And I think that there is a point in the discipleship journey when trust has been procured, when the motives are clean and pure, when a credible relationship has been established where someone can hear that and when someone can be discipled into a place of wholeness where those kinds of targeted questions are appropriate. But I think what was happening in this moment, and I think it's the word for all of us, I think the word very simply in this story is that 
There is hope for those of us who are in chronic pain. That, and I'm going to try to just make this as simple and simple and simple as possible. There are some of us that are in this room today that in whatever way, maybe you're not like literally physically immobile, but you find yourself very much like this man where, where you're not able to do the things and function the way that you want to function. Maybe it's spiritually. Maybe you've been trying to the best that you know how to come alive in God or be awake or be awakened or be full of faith. And it just feels like you're calloused. It feels like you're discouraged. It feels like no matter how many steps forward you try to make, something just keeps bumping you back. It's interesting in Mark chapter 2, we don't have to go there, but there's another story of a man who is paralyzed. You may recall this. This particular man has a group of friends that rally around him. He has a community where this man right here has no community. He's hopeless, he's helpless, and he's friendless. We'll touch that in a moment. This man in Mark chapter 2 is also paralyzed. He is an invalid. He is not able to take care of himself, and yet somehow there is a caring, healing community of friends that gathers around him, and they are so committed to his healing, and they're so committed that their faith is actually something that Jesus takes note of. They open up a hole in the roof, and they drop their friend down, and the first thing that Jesus says to him is not be healed. The first thing that Jesus says to him is not, do you want to be well? The first thing that Jesus says is, son, your sins are forgiven which is very curious. Anybody have any idea why Jesus would tell a paralyzed man before he heals him that his sins are forgiven? I think that there is a way in which self-rejection and self-condemnation and self-loathing have a way of not only paralyzing us in life, they paralyze us mentally, they, they lock us into a place or a pattern of brokenness. They lock us into a place of trauma. They lock us into a place of betrayal. And then before we know it, that internal paralysis, if we're not careful, will turn into a paralysis that touches every part of our lives. We're not advancing in our job. Our motivation dies. The things that we know that we're capable of, the potential we know that God has put inside of us, it begins to just slowly seep out of us. And what is that? There is this sense of internal, uh, we, we attack ourselves over and over and over and over again until eventually we just stop. And Jesus is so astute. He's so keen. He is so well aware of what's happening inside of the psyche of a person, and he realizes this is what's going on, son. Be, be, be forgiven. Be released. Forgive yourself. Have grace with yourself. And in so doing, your physical mobility will follow. Freedom will follow. Am I, am I talking to anybody today? Are you, are you tracking with me? It, it is so curious, and it'd be a worthwhile study to look at how many people that Jesus goes up to who are in chronic situations. 
And every one of these chronic situations, they're different. There's a woman who has an issue of blood, hemorrhaging of blood, which in the community she would be known as unclean. And so she kind of tries to sneak in and slip in unaware and she doesn't stand erect. She doesn't look right in his eyes. She, she kind of like crawls on the ground and touches the hem of his garment. And something the scripture tells us very, very explicitly, something that doctors were unable to cure for 12 years of her life happens in a moment. And the Lord speaks to her and he says, daughter, first thing out of his mouth, daughter, speaks identity, speaks value, speaks affirmation, speaks beauty, speaks worth. Your faith has made you well. There was a man there who had been an invalid for 38 years, and Jesus said to him, son, do you want to get well? I'm going to be honest with you. I've read, I've read several commentaries on this. And a lot of these commentaries, they kind of fall on different places, and they all kind of start moving into places of conjecture around what really Jesus is meaning and what's happening. And, and I've landed on this. I've landed on, there is a lot that is unclear about what is happening in this man. So what I want to do is I want to be clear in the middle of the uncertainty about who Jesus is in this story. It's been a little distracting, I think, if we get into trying to psychoanalyze this man and why he's there and why Jesus is saying this and what's really happening and why did Jesus come back and say, stop sinning. I, I think what we need to do is back out and say, what can we learn about who Jesus is? So, can I just take a few minutes and just hit that? Number one, here's what we learn about Jesus. That in a season of festivals in the capital city, Jesus finds himself amongst the most unattractive. Jesus is attracted to the unattracted. The unattractive. That in a capital city, right? I mean, just think, like, put yourself, capital city, People are, people are there. The who's who are coming out. Everyone, pomp and circumstance. Everyone's trying to be seen. Everyone's putting on their best. Jesus doesn't go to those parties. Where does Jesus go? Jesus goes to the community where people are lame and they're crippled and they can't move and they can't walk. And some particular commentators go into the sensory graphic detail of what it would be like. Paraplegics don't have control over bodily functions. I'll leave it at that. But it's important for us to see that because the sight and the sound and the smell that surrounded this pool, they weren't clean. And this is where Jesus wanted to be. It's what we learn about God. This is what we learn about God. This is what we learn about the son of suffering. That he has no desire to be where the privileged and the positioned and the pretty people are at. They're fine. He wants to be where the forgotten are at. That's where he wants to be. Here's the second thing we learn about Jesus is that Jesus has this uncanny ability. I don't know why he There were so many people that were in the exact position that this man was in. But in this moment, Jesus knew that this particular man, maybe he was on the edge. Maybe, maybe this was the last day. Maybe there was something that was very dark and something very dire that was going on in his heart and his mind. But Jesus 
targeted this man. Jesus saw this man for exactly where he was at. I believe that Jesus saw every single one of them, but for whatever reason, on this particular day, this was this man's day for this kind of encounter with the Lord. And Jesus shows up to him, and he sees this man. This is what we learn about Jesus. Jesus cares about our chronic pain. He cares. Those of us who are still struggling with the same sin patterns over and over, and we feel like that we've disqualified ourselves from God, I want you to know you've not disqualified yourself. Jesus cares, and he sees, and he sees the work that you've been doing, and he sees your efforts, and he sees how you've been trying. He sees it, and he cares about it. It's what we learn about Jesus. The third thing that we learn about Jesus is it says that Jesus learned that this man was in this condition for a long time. And Jesus asked this question, do you want to get well? Jesus cares about your wholeness. He cares about your wholeness, and Jesus is able to bring you into wholeness. And here's where I've got to lean in on this thought for a moment. Because there's a difference between being healed and being made whole. Jesus didn't ask the man, do you want to be healed? There's two different words there in the Greek for this. There's two different concepts for this. Jesus asked the man, do you want to be well? Do you want to be made whole? And in fact, and Christian, if we, can we go here for a second? I want to just kind of addendum this for a moment. And I want to look at this story in Luke chapter 17. Because I think it highlights the point I make. And then we'll jump back and we'll talk about the man at the pool. Luke 17 verse 11. Luke 17, verse 11. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him, and they stood at a distance, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Verse 14. And when he saw them, he said, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Cleansed. One of them, verse 15, when he saw he was healed, he came back, number one, he praised God in a loud voice, number two, he threw himself at Jesus' feet, number three, and he thanked him, number four. That is a four-part series for a sermon for all of our preachers out there. That's free. You should take that. Grant, use that as a devo for all your leaders, brother. And he was a Samaritan, verse 17. And Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, watch this, this is very fascinating. He says, rise and go, for your faith has made you well. You've already been healed. You've already been cleansed. You've already gone to the priest. You've already been reestablished into the community. You've already been set back into the social structure. And yet all of these things have happened and Jesus recognized you're not whole yet. Oh man, this is where I really could get nasty right now. I could preach this thing if I wanted to. Guys, listen, there's, there's a difference between getting something from God, getting your physical healing, and being made whole. Whole. God cares. Like, God is a healer, but God cares about your wholeness. God cares about the root of the dysfunction, the root of the brokenness. 
He cares about what's happening, body, soul, and spirit, and all of the ways that those things are connected. He cares about the trauma and what happened with you when that thing came in. He cares about you receiving counsel in such a way that illumination and light come to you so that you don't have a one-time moment of, of, of relief but that you are equipped to move gradually and progressively into greater measures of, say it with me, wholeness. God wants you whole, beloved. He wants your memories to be sound. The body keeps score. What I mean by that is that some of us are experiencing pain in our bodies, but it is a symptom And God could heal you over and over again in your physical body and you would still go right back to that same physical malady if the root of the fountain, if the source of that physical brokenness is not touched, which may be in your memory. It may be in your self-loathing. It might be in your unforgiveness and your bitterness towards somebody that has done something awful to you. It might... It might go back to your family of origin, and God may want to gently and graciously take your hand and walk you back into some very painful places in the entire time, asking you very graciously, beloved, do you want to get well? Let's, Let's do this. I'm with you. I'm with you. I want to walk you into your wholeness. I want to walk you every step of the way. And by the way, there is, there is no timeline on this. There is no timeline. So I want to make two real, real quick points, and then we'll come to the table together. In a moment, Jesus heals this man. In a moment. And I think, I, I, I want to, as pastorally, and I want to, ascend, just with as much sensitivity as I can possibly share with you today, Beloved, I want to remind you that we serve a God who can heal you in a moment. In a moment. 38 years of immobility and in one encounter with the Lord. And this is not to say that you have not had encounters with the Lord if that chronic illness or that chronic pain or that chronic whatever the issue is hasn't been healed in a moment, you have, you have encountered the Lord. The Lord has met with you. And I, as long as I'm your pastor, I am going to strive to build a healing community that is the complete antithesis, that is the direct opposite of the community that was here. And what do I mean by that? This was a community where every single person that was there thought only of themselves. And I want to build a community where every single one of us in this room and those that are connected to us, that we are all contending and that we are all praying and that we are all hoping and that we are all believing and that we are all fasting and that we are all declaring scripture for the wholeness and the healing of our brother and our sister. It's very natural, and I get it. It's very natural that when you're in pain, the typical response in your pain and our pain is for us to get inward and to think about ourselves. But there is a way and there is a place, and I believe that it's part of the economy of the kingdom, that even in our most acute pain, that God can grace us 
to care about the pain of others. And in so doing, and I don't know how he does this, but in so doing that we care about the healing of others, that is the pathway to our own healing. In a moment, God healed this man. Notice that, and guys, I could, I could like, and this is actually where when I first started getting into this passage, I just wanted to go after those religious leaders. That really preaches fun. But this is where God is landing me. Notice that the religious leaders did not celebrate with this man. That the religious leaders didn't ask anything about his healing. All they did was accuse and all they did was condemn. That's another message for another day. The next thing that happens is they ask this man who healed you. And notice, watch this. This man doesn't even know. This man doesn't even know. While I'm saying that, I also need to say this. Jesus never says anything to this man about his faith. So, like, could we just shatter the conceptions that our healing and our wholeness are dependent on our own faith? That'll take a while, I think, for some of us to let that settle in. Jesus never talks to him about his faith. After he heals him, he never says, it's your faith that healed you. And some of us have been in a holding pattern of self-condemnation, believing that we are still sick or we're still in pain or we're still broken because we don't have enough faith. And today, I just want to shatter that. To whatever level of authority you give me, but the authority that I have in the spirit, I'm just going to say right now, that is not gospel truth. And anything that causes us to feel the condemnation of the enemy is not God. And there is a way in which God can speak to our faith in such a way that awakens a hunger for our faith to grow, but there will never be a trace of condemnation with it. And there will also never be a trace of superhuman, super-religious comparison that wells up inside of us that says, well, I got this because I've got more faith than them. The last thing I'll say is when Jesus comes back, and I don't know why he says this, and I'm, I'm not going to try to conjecture on why. I'm not going to speculate. But over and over and over again, we see in the Gospel of John that John or Jesus sees what's happening in the heart, and for whatever reason, he shows up to this man, and he says to this man, stop sinning. Stop sinning or something worse may happen. Jesus cares not just about our one-time healing. Jesus cares about the entire trajectory of our lives, body, soul, and spirit, towards complete wholeness. And that is what Jesus is after when he goes back and he finds this man. Interestingly enough, where, does, where do we find this man at? He's in the temple. For 38 years, this man wasn't able to get to the temple. So there's something in this man that wants to go and worship God. There's something in this man that wants to go and thank God. There's something in this man that wants to go and find himself in the right place. And Jesus pursues him again because Jesus cares about his wholeness. 
Beloved, if you don't walk away with anything in this room today, I want you to walk away with this, that God has the ability to sit with you in your chronic pain. He sees you in your chronic pain. That Jesus has the ability in a moment to heal you in your chronic pain. And that Jesus cares about your wholeness in every area of your life. Would you stand with me this morning as we come to the table? I'm going to go ahead and invite those ministers to the table to come forward this morning. Friends, would you just allow yourself to, just in your own way, whatever the Holy Spirit is shining his light on, would you allow yourself to respond in the presence of the Lord? I'm going to begin with a prayer of repentance. Father, I repent and I pray that all of us who are in the room who maybe we've operated with these mentalities or these mentalities of superiority or these mentalities of judgment. Lord, those of us who are well-abled and those of us, Lord, who have lived fortuned lives. Those of us who have only experienced strength, Lord, if there's been any way where we have, Lord, looked down upon or discounted or judged those who are in chronic pain, God, I ask that, Lord, that you would have mercy on us. Lord, if there's been any ways, God, where we've misrepresented the notion of faith and in so doing that we have misrepresented your heart, or we've misrepresented the reality of who you are to those that are living in pain, and maybe even in such a way that it it is turning their hearts away from you. God, we cry out for your mercy. Have mercy on us. And now I want to pray for those in our community right now. And Jonathan's already done a masterful job teeing this up. I just want to add to it. I want to just reinforce this. Lord, I pray for those that are in chronic situations, chronic sin, chronic struggles, Lord, chronic brokenness in their relationships, chronic unforgiveness, chronic disease, chronic rejection. Lord, I pray for, I pray for the kind of of gracious light and illumination that shows us the pattern. God, I ask for the gracious light of God to shine in and break us out of systems and strongholds and ways of thinking that have got us locked into victimization, that have got us locked, Lord, into pain. And Lord, I pray specifically for those in the room today that are experiencing physical pain. God, I pray for my dear sister Gina, and I pray, God, for her healing. Lord, I pray that neurons in the brain would be healed. They would be restored at a moment. That synapses, God, would fire. Lord, I pray that neurological function, God, in the entire body would fire, and that 
Lord, parts of the brain would communicate, Lord, to every part of the body, all the way down to her toes and her fingers. God, that mobility be would restore a hundred percent. Lord, the effects of this stroke that has happened years ago would be completely eradicated. God, I, Lord, I cash my faith in for my sister. And Lord, I pray that for every person in this congregation, Lord. Lord, for those of us in this room that have become so discouraged that we've given up, Lord, I pray right now that, that any shame or any condemnation that the enemy might come along or religious spirits or religious thoughts might come along and say, you've, you've given up. Lord, we just silence that today. 38 years is a long time. Giving up is natural. Lord, I ask that you would resurrect faith within us and resurrect hope. And Lord, I pray for miracles in this house. Lord, I'm asking you for miracles, not because I have so much faith and not because we have so much faith and not because we've earned it, but because, Lord, you are God of miracles, because you care about my brothers and sisters, God, who are hurting in my family. And I'm asking, Lord, that you would condition all of our hearts to care about those that are in our community that would find themselves at the pool of Bethesda. And Lord, far be it from us that anyone would say, when I try to get into the pool, everyone, everyone pushes me to the side. Lord, may we be a community, Lord, that helps one another all get in the pool. Make us a community of mat carriers, God. Heal us and make all of us whole. I pray it today in Jesus' name. Brothers and sisters, I invite you to come to the table of the Lord where the Holy Spirit himself takes ordinary common elements and breathes upon them and administers the grace of God to us. You can exit on the left, you can receive the elements, and we'll all partake together.
are here touching. You are here touching every heart. I worship you. I worship you. You are here. You're healing every heart. I worship you. Yes, I do. I worship you. You are here. Turning lives around. I worship you. I worship you. You are here. I pray that this truth of who God is becomes more and more revelation to you and more and more revelation in this house. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, Scripture tells us that Jesus took bread and he broke that bread. You can break this in your hand today. This is a physical picture of what Jonathan read in Isaiah 53, that the son of suffering He was broken so that you and I could be whole, so that our families could be whole, that systems of the world that we are a part of can be whole. And we proclaim this. We proclaim this. We prophesy that the healing wholeness of God, body, soul, and spirit, and relationship, that the Lord is at work. My hope and my prayer is that week by week by week by week and year after year after year, we find ourselves becoming more and more and more sound, whole. So it's towards this end that I pray. This is Christ's body broken for you, beloved. Take and receive. And in the same manner, he took the cup. This is a picture of the very blood of Jesus, the blood of God himself that was shed so that within you, as you take this within yourself, that the healing power of God himself would be at work within you. I pray that strongholds in your life would be broken. Idolatry, broken. Rebellion, broken. Sex struggles, broken. Pride and arrogance and high-mindedness, broken. By the power of the blood of Jesus. Let it be in Jesus' name. Let us receive. Friends, we'd love to pray for you today. 
Before you leave, if there's any of you in the room that any of our altar workers can grab hands and link our faith and pray with you, we'd be honored to do that. With that being said, let's sing the doxology and let's be sent out together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father. Beloved, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord himself be gracious to you. Pour his mercy out upon you. May the Lord lift up his bright, shining countenance upon you. And may the Lord give you shalom, peace, in every part of your life and everything that concerns you. And I pray it today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go forth in Jesus' name into the world.